So what kind of music glorifies God? I need uh, someone to help my son. Uh, Tyler, I need one of them. Oh, no, I have one. You already did it. Good job. Um, someone can uh, volunteer with my son, please. I'm going to hand each one of you out one of these little business cards. It's a little card to go over what we're going to go over in the next few minutes together. Everything that's on that card is going to be up on the screen. When I tell you to refer to it, you can refer to it at that point. But we're going to start moving through. On the front of that card, you'll notice an, a mnemonic or an acronym, better, a mnemonic. And a mnemonic is a certain way that we use a word to help us remember something. And our mnemonic today is music. Music. And we're passing out your free cards right now. By the way, tonight, some people have come up to me and asked me, after Sabbath tonight, will I have this music seminar available? Indeed, we do. We have the uh, full 12-hour DVD set available for you tonight and my testimony as well as some of our music. So we are going to give you these free cards. Some people have taken these DVDs and they have shared them in their churches. They've shared them in their academies. They've shared them in different youth groups. And they'll call us and ask us for more cards to hand out. And as many as you need, we'll send them to you. In fact, we'll even pay the postage. Music. M stands for meaningful, not trivial. U, untainted, not worldly. Spiritual, not carnal. I stands for inspirational, not degrading. And clear, not confused or disguised. Godly music will contain lyrics and instrumentation that are full of beauty, dignity, reverence, and simplicity, worthy in the praise and worship of God. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through, and from this point on, we're going to only play music that is sold to us as Christian music. I'm not saying that it is, but it's sold to us as Christian music. And unfortunately, the music industry, the Christian music industry, has learned that if you put the nine-letter word Christian on just about anything, many times Christians will just buy it because, you know, that's Christian. But friends, just because it has that nine-letter word on there, Christian doesn't mean that it is. Amen? So what we're going to do now is we're going to start to understand the body language of music because the body language, the music bed itself, carries the weight of the communication. Yes or no? Okay, so we'll just wait till those cards are passed out. Yep, I will say that again, yes. We know that the music bed itself carries the weight of what's being communicated, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to go through, and in each one of these five criteria, we're going to listen to different types of music clips. And I want you to be aware of, I want you to be aware of the body language. What type of environment is coming into your mind? If I play a song and you, you're thinking more of like this is more of a party or whatever, I want you to voice that when I ask you the questions. Because at first, it's a little difficult to ascertain sometimes or voice what the body language is because we're not used to talking about that part of it. So we're going to learn these tools, and as we go along, we're going to put several tools in your toolbox to help you make better decisions. And if you guys don't mind, uh, I'm going to have to remove my shoes. My, my feet are killing me, so if you, and, it, and it makes my low back hurt, and then my neck hurt, and so I'll be like Boonstra, and I'll be without my shoes. 
<laughs> oh man, now I'm four foot ten. No, okay. So we're gonna. Oh, that feels so much better. And I even have cute socks on. Look at that. Okay. Anyway, godly music. My wife just turned red. That is my husband. I yeah yeah. No, godly music will contain lyrics and instrumentation that are full of beauty, dignity, reverence, and simplicity worthy in the praise and worship of God. So here's the first song. I want you to ask the question, is it meaningful or is it trivial? And what is the body language? Imagine the environment. What would it be? Yeah, I was thinking the other day, what if cartoons got saved? They start singing praise. What if cartoons got saved? In a whole new way. Yeah, yeah. Fred and Wilma Flintstone Sing Yabba Dabba So that is a worship service. What kind of environment or what kind of body language is that? Come on. Say it louder. You're kind of into it. You're kind of moving. It's what kind of environment? Like a party? Yes. Agree? Agreed? It's like a, are you thinking holy God is in the presence in this place? No, you see, this is a worship service, and it has this party atmosphere. Friends, the reality is, if you understand the sanctuary message, anybody here know that we as a Seventh-day Adventist have a sanctuary message? Yes, we do. The reality is this. The sanctuary message tells us what day we're living in. And the day that we're living in is the anti-typical Day of Atonement. The real Day of Atonement. We forget that, it seems like. And friends, that environment we just heard speaks nothing of the day in which you're living. It's a party atmosphere in the worship of God. The reality is, if you know anything about the Day of Atonement, it wasn't the time for the party. It was a time for real deep introspection. Am I even in the faith? Is that true? Yes. Is that the day we're living in? Yes. yes. The party's not right now. Does that mean, oh, I'm a Christian. Life is just so hard and terrible. No, 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 no. We got enough sadness in the world. No, the reality is this. We see whether we're in the faith. We actually ask the Lord, am I truly connected to you? Do we have that relationship? Am I allowing you access to my mind to live out your will within me? And friends, here's the good news. The party is coming. The celebration is coming. Amen. And on those days when Jesus comes and I, my feet leave this planet, friends, oh, when I leave, I'll be sitting there doing, I'll be dancing unto the Lord like David. Amen. Amen. You can call me celebration if you want, because it is a celebration. But today's not the day. It was actually written, what if cartoons got saved? It was written as basically an allegory, as, a, as a, a lesson to this man who wrote the song, Chris Rice. He wrote it as a lesson book for his congregation where he went to church. And he taught the kids the song, and they presented it to the congregation because he saw that his church was moving into this thought process that, that we're Christianizing everything and everything and everyone's going to be saved. And so he said, what, what, if we, we're, we're saying, what if cartoons got saved? 
And the reality is, when he presented it, the church didn't get it. They just said, wow, I really like that song. And he's like, no, no, no. In fact, it was recorded. It was sent out. Eventually, his label heard it. And his label said, you're recording that song. And he said, I don't want to record the song. You're under contract. You're recording the song. He recorded the song. He said it was the biggest mistake he ever made in his music ministry. Because everywhere he went from then on, it was the number one requested song. He was trying to teach not everyone's going to be saved. You can't Christianize everything. And the meaning of it was lost. How about this song? Is this meaningful or trivial? Hold up, wait a minute, put a little love in it. <laughs> What's the body language of that? That song is called Love Addict. And that's, that's all about the Christian experience with Jesus and stuff. So, uh, I mean, you can't hold up, wait a minute, put a little love in it, and then you can't even, Roger, Roger, I don't even know what the guy was saying. And by the way, if the lyrics are the only thing that matters, should we be able to understand the lyrics? Oh yeah, it's just screaming out, it's going there, yeah. So what was the body language of that? Yeah, it wasn't angry. It was just... You're just like, can I have a Bible study from you? No. The, the body language was anger and rage. And even if you had great lyrics, my friends, the, the, the great lyrics don't sanctify and make the, the song not angry. Amen? You see, if I listen to angry music, guess what happens? I become angry. If I listen to sensual music, I become sensual. This is not a newsflash. But friends, just because it has the name Christian on it, we give it a pass. As though, like, maybe we kind of think there's a committee out there, and they have some sort of standards, and if the Christian song is presented, they go, ching, ching, yes, that one is accepted. Nope, that one's rejected. No, friends. Anybody can put anything out there today, not even with the record label, and they can call it anything they want. In fact, there has been in the last couple of years reports of groups who were never even Christian groups who decided to start recording quote-unquote lame Christian songs and they were selling it to the Christian world and laughing because they were running to the bank with boatloads of money. They weren't even Christians. Well, it said Christian music. Let's get a little more sophisticated than that, amen? How about this one? By the way, this particular... I'll tell you in a moment. What's the body language of this song? And think about it. Is that not what it's like? What, what's, the, what's the body language of that? It's carefree. It's what? I will say again. What? At, at like a beach party. Yeah, oh, that's true. You know that that song is played by a Christian band, but that song is not even a Christian song. It's the end of the world as we know it, but I feel fine. Huh. What? Do you know that that was actually from a secular band named REM? R-E-M? 
And this secular band recorded that song. has nothing to do with anything Christian, but the Christian band takes it, and they, at their concerts, play the secular song, introducing the new Christian crowd to the secular worldly music. Do you see a problem with this? Yeah. What? Here's the problem. Many of these bands are gaining their inspiration from the worldly bands, not from the Holy Spirit. Now, ask the question, is this meaningful or is this trivial? What's the body language of that? First of all, is it meaningful or trivial? Yeah. Did the lyrics work? Did the music work? Guess what? That is a house not divided against itself. Amen? The song passes the test. What was the body language? Very calm. Holy. Reverent. Yes. Kind of prayerful, right? Does all Christian music have to be reverent and prayerful? No, not all of it. Of course not. There's some fun, lively music out there. And I want you to understand, today I'm showing you two opposite extremes on purpose. There is some that's really obviously not and really obviously good. You understand? And then there is this middle area. And so here's what I want you to think about. Well, we'll, we'll get to that next. There's like this, people go, there's a gray area. It's actually not a gray area because it's either going to be okay or not for the Christian. There might be a big gray area for the world, but not for the Christian. We'll, we'll get into that in a moment. Here's another, que another question. Meaningful or trivial? I give body language. Meaningful or trivial? He's sitting there singing about giving everything to God, right? What was the music? What was the actual body language of the song? It was worshipful. I like that. Yes. Again, it was more meditative. He was, he was pouring out his heart. And so did the music bed support what he was saying? Yeah, see, here's what's beautiful. My son and I were talking about this the other day. He wrote a really, really nice song. And the, the challenge was, if you don't put the right music bed with it, it can drown out the meaning of the song, right? And so in this case... Imagine if he tried to sing that song with like, you'd be like, what, what, what? there'd be like a disconnect there. Why? It would be a house divided against itself. As, as a, in, in other words, if the music bed does not support the lyrical content, it will undermine the lyrical content. Make sense? Okay. 
Now, our last question here, meaningful or trivial? Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Meaningful or trivial? Now, people will say sometimes, yeah, but I don't like that sounding, I don't like that kind of music. Friends, do you think I went from the full-on world to enjoying that kind of music overnight? I didn't. Why? I was on such a diet of the world or a diet of this, this contemporary Christian music that some of this music that was just, it almost was like too goody-two-shoes for me. <laughs> it was too pure for my heathen ears maybe, I don't know. God eventually started to change my taste buds or my earbuds. Amen? And, and he, he, he gave me that promise. He rewired my thinking. He, he helped me to have a new mind, my friends, to where I now, I'm touched by this music. I'm lifted by this music. It's sacred and beautiful and amazing. But I don't like it. God will get you there. God will get you there. But it doesn't mean that just everything is a simple piano with some strings and it's a, it's a prayer. Of course not. We're, we're redesigning and we will be diving into it deeply very soon here. We're going to redesign the music seminar, by the way. We have some new information that will blow your mind. And our goal is to go around this country, maybe the world, and interview these people in this industry and in the music industry, in the entertainment world, and interview them. And, and, and friends, the goal is this, create a documentary that people just go, wow, sit down with the scientists, sit down with the audio professionals, sit down with the musicians, and then invite them to watch the full seminar, amen? Pray for that project, by the way. And it's not that we can't start right this second, but we're going, we're, 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 we're going to get there. Pray for us. Now, let's, let's talk about this. Stan Mosier, this is incredible. He's the former head of Word Records. He, he had found people like Amy Grant, one of the largest, if not the largest, Christian record label, and the CEO of Starsong Records, probably the second largest in the world, and a pioneer and executive of the contemporary Christian music movement. So this is the guy that was at the head of all of it, and here's what he had to say. Back in 1996... To be candid, I look at the majority of the music I hear today, and I think it's virtually meaningless. There is a growing chasm between CCM and the church, between what is actually happening in the real world of ministry, or even in the music ministry of the church, and what we're doing in CCM. He saw it. You know what? We've sold out. We're, we're, we're bringing stuff in that is not even close to being Christian. The guy that was there to start it all, he's like, no. Nah. <laughs> and this was in 96, my friends, before there was Christian death metal. Christian death metal. Christian death metal. It's like an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp or something, I don't know. Untainted, not worldly. So the first criteria that we have for a song to pass through is meaningful, yes or no? Amen. It must be meaningful. The lyrics must be meaningful, and the music bed must be meaningful. 
you, untainted, not worldly. Godly music will lead us to think in biblical patterns. It will not seek to imitate the world's ways. Amen. We shouldn't be going, oh, that's a great new sound. I want to imitate or mimic the world, my friends. We need to pray and ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do? Finally, my brothers, look at that, that little card that you have there. Look on the back of it. You're going to see the P48 test. That's the Philippians 4.8 test and the 10 C's test, the 10 commandments. Let me just read through that real quick. Whatever we behold needs to be true or represent truth, noble, which means high moral principles, just, pure, lovely, or good report or good reputation, virtuous or praiseworthy, the 10 C's. Godly music will lead us to worship only God, idolize no person or object, respect God's name, keep his day his way, honor authority, respect life, Think in non-lustful ways, respect others' possessions, always tell the truth, and thank God for what you have. Friends, if we were to take just that little card and apply this to every area of our life, I think Jesus could come a lot sooner. Amen? I mean, literally, if we were to make this how we went forward in our life, we would make very different decisions that we're making today, most likely. Come on, let's be honest, yes or no? That's just too straight-laced. No, it's not. Not if we want to overcome. Do you realize we've been told by, the, by inspiration that at the end of time, God's people will be called straight-laced extremists? Are, do you have that reputation? In some circles, I do. <laughs> oh, that Christian, he's a straight-laced extremist. Praise the Lord! <laughs> Amen? It doesn't mean I don't have the love of God in my life. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't filled in my heart. Lord, the reality is that each one of us get to choose. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Amen? And so I want Philippians 4.8 in my life. I want the Ten Commandments in my life. Imagine if just the people that are here, and many of you are visiting from different churches. Imagine if you and I left here saying, by God's grace, I'm going to be a Philippians 4 8 Christian. I'm going to be a Ten Commandment keeping Christian. If that became the moniker of our life, this world would not know what to do with us. The church wouldn't know what to do with us. Isn't that true? That's true. Now, we don't go off going, look at me. Look at, no, 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 no. That's not Jesus like. Amen. Now, when I look at that Philippians 4 8 and I evaluate that, and I look here where it says good report. Think on these things. That means of good reputation. Does rock and roll have a good reputation? No. Come on, does it? No. no. Does rap have a good reputation? No. Does hip-hop? Does death metal? No. So according to Philippians 4.8, I should not be beholding those things. Is that what it said? Uh, hello? Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, you're right. Well, come on now. Brother Christian came here because I love you and I'm willing to share the hard things with you. In their efforts to reach the people, the Lord's messengers are not to follow the ways of the world. Who cares what kind of music the world creates for the world? Amen? We should be concerned with what Christians are creating for the Christian world. That's what we should be concerned with. 
Because as good Christians, friends, if it's not lifting my mind and heart and thoughts to Christ or heavenward or to the beauty of the world, it's not going to go into my head by God's grace. This is the most precious thing that I own. And friends, I can train it in such a way that I can be a beautiful disciple of Christ or an enemy of Christ. Yes or no? Time Magazine, is God dead? No, is the answer, by the way. Contemporary Christian performers are indistinguishable except for their lyrics from their secular counterparts. In fact, if I were to put up some pictures, I'm going to do this in the new seminar. I'm going to put up some different pictures. I'm going to say, tell me which one is the Christian band and which one's the worldly band. And friends, unless you happen to know that they are a Christian band, you would not be able to tell the difference because they, are, they got these bad, mean attitudes. They've got the tattoos all over, nose rings and piercings and all this kind of stuff. And that's the Christian band, by the way. No, I'm serious. Oh, you're going to judge them? Maybe they came from... Oh, I, yeah, I know, I'm not judging them. But friends, when the Lord has our hearts, He will take us from where we were, but He loves us enough to not leave us where we were. Amen? Amen. And this brings up the whole idea of, well, this music is just part of my culture. But what if your culture's fallen? You leave it behind. Amen? Oh, by the way, I happen to be part of the, one of the most fallen cultures on the planet, the American culture. Hello? But friends, if there's things in my American culture that are not of God, when I became a Christian, I leave them behind, right? Whatever culture you come from, God will only want you to bring with you what's good to have from your culture that will help you to heaven. Yes or no? Yes. The reality is God is trying to pull each one of us out of our earthen cultures into a heavenly one. Amen. Amen? So don't use the culture card. Don't say, well, that's part of my culture. I know, but what if it was fallen? I mean, it's, it's part of some people's culture, and, and it's been their hereditary to eat people. But it's part of my culture. Ew. Well, when you became a Christian and we educated you, guess what? You stop eating Uncle Tom and Aunt Mildred. And you go, well, that's an extreme example. That's the point. If it's not of a godly nature, God doesn't want it for us in our life. Why? It's going to hold us back. He's not going to ask us to give up anything that will help us in our life, only the things that hinder us. So let's go through a couple of different um, music samples here. The question we're answering, asking is untainted or worldly? And what's the body language of this? This particular song is entitled Shut Em Down. In the lame brains, look at them chains, I ain't dealing with your man. My mission is to put Jesus Christ on display. It don't matter, you ain't even on my level anyway. Shut it down. We make moves, you know how I do when the team come through. What's the body language of that? You got to talk louder. Somebody? What? Disgusting. Disgusting. Okay, we'll take that. <laughs> what, what's the body language of it? Arrogance. I, is that what I heard? Yeah, it was very arrogant, wasn't it? My mission is to put Jesus Christ on display. It don't matter. You ain't even at my level anyway. Shut it down. What? <laughs> what? 
My mission is to put Jesus Christ on display. It don't matter. You ain't even on my level anyway. Shut it down. Oh, what kind of... That's not a Christian attitude. That's a gangster attitude. That's an inappropriate attitude. Amen? But it's a Christian song. He has Jesus lyrics. Well, the gangster music isn't sanctified by the Jesus lyrics. Amen? Come on now. Let's reason this through. How about this one? It's called Free to Be Me. What? Wait a second. First of all, what, what was the body language of that? Say again? Self, Self yeah, that's right. Rebellion. rebellion, it was, right? It had this like this rebellious like, mm, yeah, well, I got a couple dents in my fingers, got a couple rips in my jeans, trying to keep the pieces together. Yeah, but well, perfection is my enemy. Friends, wait a second. That, that, that's, no, 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 no. As a, as a, as a Christian that is, is asking the Holy Spirit to live out His life within me, Father, uh, please, uh, perfection is not my enemy. Perfection is my goal. Amen. So imagine that. Imagine the pastor puts together, he works all week, maybe a month even, he works on this message and he's like, Lord, help me to, to share with the, your people, help me to share with them the importance of embracing this idea that you, we can be made perfect in you through your righteousness and through the grace that you will bless us with to where I can grow in my character up as a calf in the stall and eventually the 144,000 will cease to sin and they will be perfect. Oh Lord, help me to preach this to the congregation and encourage them that this indeed is possible. And then he's up there preaching out his heart. He's worked on this. The Holy Spirit has filled him and he's preaching and he's saying, perfection is our goal. And then this young lady has been listening to this song uh, 5, 10, 15, 20,000 times. Perfection is my enemy. No, perfection is my enemy. Friends, she's not going to receive that message or he. Because, friends, when you stack the deck like that, no, perfection is my enemy. Mm, mm, mm. So is it okay to have happy songs? Of course it is. Is it okay to have, have, have any sort of joy in our life? Yes, it's what God has come to give us, is this beautiful joy. Are we free to have our own uniqueness? Yes, we are. Can I embrace the certain wonderful things of my culture? I can. I'm actually proud to be an American. I'm not, I'm not proud of everything America has done, but I'm proud to be an American. I've been in a lot of countries. I go, thank God I don't live here. It's true. Just do a little traveling. You'll be really thankful for where you live. So it's the way that the music is sung. It's the music bed that it's sitting on. And all of this brings it together to where we can ask the question, is this music worldly? Is it untainted? It gets, it becomes a little easier to figure it out, doesn't it? 
See, I listened to my friend there, Sean Neblett, and he's singing this song. And this piano, his, his, his family plays this. This is when he was a little younger and they were figuring out how to record music. And I, I actually love the song because I know where this came from in their life. And this is really a heart's cry. Is it perfect? No. The little flat note in there? Yeah, he knows that. But he just wanted to get this song out. And friends, when I hear it, I go, it's okay though, because he was singing with the Spirit. What was the body language? It, it was godly. But what does that mean? It what? He was appreciative of what God was doing in his life, amen? And so again, our music as Christians will be distinctly different from the carnal Christians collection and the world's collection. So is there any place for people to sing maybe just like a love song? I mean, that's a good question, I think. In fact, I have been at weddings and I have sang at people's weddings, good friends of mine. People have called me, will you come and sing at our wedding? I, I, and I love singing at weddings. Very difficult for me to sing at weddings because, frankly, that was the happiest day of my life. Indeed, it was. I get very emotional even sitting at anybody's wedding. And now I've got to stand up and sing? I'm like, uh-oh. But the, re the reality is, there's a wonderful place and time for love songs. In fact... I've sang many, I've sang at funerals, I've sang songs that weren't even written by a Christian person. Oh, Christian Bertal's a sinner. <laughs> Friends, if the song passes the test, it passes the test, amen? And so the reality is, if I sang a love song and, and it, had, it didn't pull me, I'm not talking about a lust song, amen? I'm not talking about some funky old thing about, you know, baby got back, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a beautiful love song, an ennobling kind of love song, a, a, a chivalrous type of, of love, amen? And so the reality is this. We're going to talk about this now. I think of it this way, good, better, best. Think of it as we have like these three bins in our life. We're going to leave the worldly music for the world, period. I got one, all right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise God, all right. We got one, Lord. We got one. We got one. Yes. So we're going to leave... The, let's, try, let's just back up. Okay. We're going to leave the worldly music for the world. Oh, we got a lot more, Lord. Praise God. Okay. So then there's these three bins. Good, better, and best, right? The best music for the Christian is a, is a song that has a beautiful music bed that is uplifting, that is inspiring, that is ennobling, it's not angry, it's not sexual, and it causes us to think in biblical ways, and it lifts our mind to God, and the lyrics are clear about whom we're worshiping. Amen? That's the best music for the Christian. We should spend most all of our time right there as a Christian. But does that mean I have to throw out a song that's about love and it's appropriate? No, we don't have to throw it out. It might, be, it might be in the better pile or the good pile. For instance, I could say, for instance, I, I sang a song to my wife. It was a beautiful song. It was written by a, a, a person that was a Christian, but the song wasn't written especially for a Christian. But it was a beautiful sentiment of love toward my wife. I recorded it for her and I gave it to her for Christmas. And, and she cried, it was good, you know, it's all, all awesome. But, and I, I earned a lot of points that day. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And you got to bank those, you know, because you're living with me and I'm a little crazy sometimes. But the reality is that you have that song and it was beautiful. It didn't cause us to think in inappropriate ways. It endeared my heart to her and her heart to me. And it was a godly sentiment, but it didn't say the word God. It didn't say Jesus. It wasn't talking about heaven. So that was, it, was a, it was a good song or a better song. Not the best, but it didn't pull me away from God. Amen? The worldly music will pull you away. That's why we have to leave it for the world, because it was written for the world, and indeed you become like the world. That's to let them have it. But what if I had a good song? What if I had a song that was just talking, maybe like a, an anthem or a national anthem or, or something that doesn't necessarily talk about God, but it's talking about majestic mountains and these beautiful things. Would there be anything wrong with me listening to that or, or singing that? No, that might be a good song, but it's not, maybe not the better or the best. So that's the idea. Just because it's not a Christian song doesn't mean we have to discard it. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, there are people out there that will tell you, as a Christian, all you can listen to is hymns and sing hymns and maybe a piano. Whoa, really? God is limited to hymns that were written 150 to 200 years ago because apparently he doesn't inspire people today? That means God's not working through his people. I don't believe that at all. Just because a hymn was written 150 years ago, time doesn't even sanctify it. Amen? Because sometimes we go, well, that, well, that's a hymn, and that's okay. There's some hymns in our hymnal that shouldn't be there. It's true. And so, friends, just because it's in a hymnal doesn't mean it's okay. Just because it was written 150 years ago doesn't mean it's okay. And, friends, just because it was written yesterday doesn't mean it's bad. But there are people out there that are trying to teach you this kind of stuff, and it's a bunch of malarkey. I don't know what malarkey means, but we use that word. <laughs> so here's a, here's a love song. I Will Be Here by Stephen Curtis Chapman. I Will Be Here. It's a beautiful sentiment of a, of a husband singing to a wife. And when the good times go bad, I will be here. Doesn't talk about God, doesn't talk about all this stuff, but it's a godly principle. It's maybe not the best song in the sense for the Christian, but it's a good or one of the better ones. I will be laughter turns to crying. What, and you see, it was a, it's a love song, but it wasn't inappropriate. Amen? Amen. Amen. Who said that? Yeah. Micah said amen. It's getting through these. That was a break spot that we had before. Spiritual, not carnal. Godly music will promote and accompany a lifestyle of godliness and modesty, encouraging the spirit. It will not encourage aggressive or sexual acts or promote carnal behavior. 1 John 2:16 says, "For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world." Here's one of the problems when you have music that is sold off and pushed off on us as Christian music, even by quote-unquote Christian groups, sometimes the music can be so, so created that it changes our character like we've talked about, including the character of those who are creating the music. Case in point, Anthony Campalo 
writing about the Creation Fest, which is a Christian music festival. Here's what he wrote about this Christian music festival. Being in the back room with many of these famous groups before they go on stage is absolutely amazing. No, frightening. What? This is, this is Christian. The ego trips they are on and the language they use to hear their hate for others. When showtime comes, however, they go out on stage with, hey, aren't we all together in Jesus Christ and the love that we share? Blah, blah, blah. What's going on here? Friends, the music that they themselves are creating that is pushed on us as Christian music is converting their souls into the carnal Christian. Spiritual or carnal? What's the body language? What's the environment that we're in? So what's the environment of that? I won't look at who, you know, people that were mouthing that one. <laughs> so what was, the, what was the body language of that one? Come on, be honest. Where, 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 where does that belong? In the club? In the bar? What's the body language? Take these shackles off my feet so I can dance, y'all. <laughs> yeah, you would hear that in New Orleans. You see, this is more fit for a club, not the house of God. The reality is, friends, this is, this is kind of a sad thing to me. This group, two young, highly talented, highly skilled ladies, started in the church, and God had blessed them with vocal talent. I'm telling you, oh. I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's talent. And over the years, they morphed into this place to where they hadn't started. And there, in fact, there have been write-ups of them, and there have been headlines written about them and different uh, phrases like, uh, Mary Mary has evolved from the pulpit to the nightclub. They what? They didn't evolve there, my friends. They devolved there. If anything, you would evolve, to use a term, from the nightclub to the pulpit. Amen? And with that evolution, to use a term again, the things of the world should have fallen off. But instead, they, they garnered a huge following. And the greatest group of their following is the homosexual group. It's true. They'll tell you that. Why? Because their music is very sensual. It's very, very physical. And it was something that many people respond to. It breaks my heart. How about this song? What's the body language of that one? Sensual? 
Sexual, what? Bed, bedroom music, Marilyn Monroe music. <laughs> I could see Marilyn Monroe going, Mr. President, you know. Oh, yeah, I know. So here she is singing to Jesus. There's a problem. Here's another thing you're going to learn. In the new age, if you will, of music, it's become very popular. It's a microphone technique to where we get right up onto the microphone now and you hear everything. Before, I'd sing a song and I'd take a breath. You don't even really hear that. But now I'm going to get right here and you're going to go, ah, and you have been on my mind or whatever I'm going to say. And it's very breathy and it's very sensual. And it might be something that I walk up to my wife and I give her a hug and I say, hi. And she goes, <laughs> so we put that to the test. Uh, do you, yes or no? Should we try? No. <laughs> okay, we're going to do that. Yeah, let's do this. Oh. Why, oh, what a pretty color red. Her face, right? Yeah. Is this okay? Does that work? Yeah, does that work? Okay. Uh, I need a woman uh, that's not my wife to do that with. No, never. Come on. No. Why, why would that be inappropriate? Because she's not my wife, amen? I can't walk up to someone and go, Hi, I'm so glad you're here. They would be like, uh, Brother Christian, you're highly inappropriate. Right? Because I crossed a line. It's perfectly wonderful in my marriage to walk up to my wife and say, Hi, I love you. And she's like, I love you. And I'd go, <laughs> Right? Amen. Awesome. But friends, for me to go in a song or walk up to somebody and invade their personal space. Amen? Well, that's what this song is doing. Because she's, and you, you hear everything. And not only the way she's singing it is it sexual. The whole song is hypersexual. Even the bass is going, brain. I mean, let me just say, they nailed it. They did a great job because it really is all about sexuality. So in this sense, the lyrical content, the way she sang it, and the music bed, oh, it all works. But friends, we're supposed to love Jesus, but we're not supposed to love Jesus like that. Amen? I'm going to play this for you one more time. I want you to now be hyper aware of it, and I hope you're uncomfortable compared to the first time that you heard it. Jesus. No, come on. But this is passed off on us because it's a Christian singer and apparently it kind of has some lyrics that have to do with her walk with Jesus. I don't think it's talking about her walk with Jesus. But some will tell you that if you have a song that's soft, that it's inappropriate. Friends, that's not true. 
I sometimes, when I sing, I, I, have, I have a very soft voice in certain times. It's very prayerful sometimes. And, and I've been, I have been criticized, and I have actually been utilized as an example of inappropriate Christian music. It, it's so funny to me, because I'm like, well, what is appropriate music? And that person goes, hymns maybe with a piano. And I go, got it. Understand. Understand. Okay, got it. Pray for me, and I'll pray for you. But friends, just because you sing soft, and their argument is that if you sing soft, it's sensual. No, what we just heard was sensual, and it was soft, and it was breathy, and it was, it was just inappropriate for the Christian, especially a married man to listen to that, amen? Any man to listen to that, amen? So I'm going to play a song for you now, and it's, it's soft, but it's not appropriate. It starts out with a little more energy, but it ends, and it's not soft, it's prayerful. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Very soft. What, what was the body language of that? Yeah, it was prayerful. Was it sensual? No, it was soft. It was prayerful. There indeed is a difference, my friends. So is my Lord. Very flirty, right? I've been told that if you put a slide on a note that you sing, that that's inappropriate. No, that, that you don't understand. The reality is, if I slide it like that, so is my Lord. Oh, you know, that kind of idea, right? That would be inappropriate, yes or no? Yeah, it's flirty, it's, it's, it's inappropriate. But if, what if I went, so is my Lord, my living Lord. I just slid up two notes right there. It adds energy to it. It's uplifting. You follow what I'm saying? There's a difference. Just because it's a slide doesn't make it inappropriate. Otherwise, we all better start talking like this because we better not do any intonations or slides in our voice. That's what makes me human. So all of a sudden, we're going to take any sort of, and I don't mean human, uh, natural human. I'm talking God created me to have expression. If I talked like that all day long, you'd be like, I am out of here. The day is long enough, but that will make it twice as long. Yes or no? Yeah. God gave me the gift and you the gift of, of verbal expression. And so I can have that in my singing. But we don't go to the, the baser passions. We don't go to the carnal. We uplift it to heaven. Making sense? You buying it? All right, praise the Lord. Here's a woman singing. She starts off with a little more energy and she resolves it toward the end. Again, it's a woman singing. It's soft, but not sexual or sensual. Soft. And I will listen to his voice. 
you hear the difference? I don't know where they come up with this stuff, except for we need to go back several centuries and just sing only the hymns that are apparently the only thing that are acceptable, and perhaps not even with a piano. No. I think that is, that is a person's view on how they're going to restrict other people. And frankly, I think it steals the joy out of your life. Inspirational, not degrading. Godly music will be expressive of the peace that accompanies the Christian life. It will not emphasize the clamor, confusion, and din and turmoil of the world. Colossians 3, 15 and 16 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, and be ye thankful, singing with the grace in your hearts to the Lord. Our compositions, my friends, will, will be in time, and they will reflect finesse and harmony and the order of skilled Christian musicians to the honor and glory of God. Here is something that we have lost in this church. I don't know if we ever had it, frankly. The challenge that we have is that if you look biblically, that the Levites, the tribe, the Levite tribe, those who were the priests of the temple, do you know that the musicians, the temple musicians, were also of the Levite tribe? Did you know they were paid with tithe? Yes, sir, they were. So here were, God thought music was so important in his worship service that he had the musicians, that was their job. They were paid, just like the priests, to do the mediatorial work and to give the messages on Sabbath and to guide and lead the people. God knew that you can guide and lead the people with music too, so we're going to pay you musicians with the tithe. Frankly, I think we as a church need to go back to that. Why? I see far too many talented Seventh-day Adventist musicians that are hired by the Sunday-keeping church and other denominations, and they go over here, and they're being paid for their talents and skills, and here we're like... Well, you know, it's just what it is. And what's, who's going to do special music? Oh, I don't know. Let's put something together right away, real quick. like, And, and we don't even have play it and do it with excellence, my friends. We're, we're not putting the impetus on it that we should. If it's that important to God to pay Him with tithe, then that means it's very important to God, and I think we should stand up and take note of that. And I would love to see churches start to put music funds together, put kids through music classes, engage them in the worship services, guide and lead those beautiful little fingers to learn how to do and to play and to do the things that God wants them to do. But friends, if we don't give them an outlet, they're going to go somewhere else and the world or the other churches will hire them. Right? Come on. It's a systemic problem. Audio Adrenaline and DC Talk. This was an article written in the Christian Conscience Magazine, a review on a concert by these two groups. The Christian Conscience Magazine said this, an extremely loud and incessant heavy bass beat was a predominant trademark for both bands for the entire evening. The musicians of Audio Adrenaline stirred up the crowd as they thrashed their heads around and bounced around the stage to their hard rock music. There was virtually no self-control near the stage. The crowd was high on the loud music. Friends, this is what's happening now all over the world, in denominations everywhere, and it has creeped into our doors as well. It has. Unfortunately, many people don't travel around the world. They don't travel all over the country, and so they have a very myopic view of what the Seventh-day Adventist church is. And if their church is conservative, well, they have this picture that 
the Adventist church is conservative. If their church is a little more uh, celebration style, they think that the, the Christian church, the Seventh-day Adventist church is more like celebration style. But the friends, friends, what I'm telling you is everywhere you go, the seeping in of bringing in worldly type of music, Babylonian music, into the remnant church of God is happening everywhere. If it hasn't happened in this church, I want to praise God that the leadership called me here today. And I know some of you are from different churches. Go back and be a light. Amen? Amen. Because, friends, we need to create an environment that when these other people who are in these different churches are finding out that this is just entertainment sold off as a worship service, they're going to start looking for somewhere else to worship. And we better not have an entertainment-laden worship style or they're going to not come through those doors because they're trying to find substance. They're trying to find the bread of life. Amen? And it can never be served up through entertainment to satisfy and nourish the soul. Evangelism, page 138. The enemy, this is incredible. The enemy will watch closely. He's looking at this church. And will take every advantage of circumstances to degrade the truth by the introduction of undignified demonstrations. None of these demonstrations are to be encouraged. The precious truth given us are to be spoken in all solemnity and with sacred awe. Inspirational, not degrading. Here's the question. What's the body language? Is this inspirational or does it, does it, is it confusion and is it, is it a carnival? Is it this din of noise? Comatose. I'll never wake up without an overdose of you. I don't wanna live, I don't wanna breathe. There's a failure next to me. You take the pain out of me. That's a Christian band that has topped the CCM charts over and over and over again. Now, now the Christian world has their, their billboards now. We want to be just like the world, but we're Christian. What was the body language of that song? It was this anger, right? I don't want to live. I don't want to breathe. Lest I feel you next to me, you take the pain that I feel. Was he talking to God or a drug? Comatose. I'll never wake up without an overdose of you. He's talking in drug vernacular about his relationship to God. Come on, I thought the lyrical content was the only thing that mattered, and you're talking about drug vernacular now? Warning, warning, warning. If the Savior stood beside me, would I do the things I do? It's a good question. Would I think of his commandments and try harder to be true? Would I follow his example? Would I live more righteously? Inspirational or degrading? 
Absolutely. Clear, not confused or disguised. We're making good progress here. Godly music will contain lyrics and instrumentation that are full of clarity, beauty, and dignity, worthy in the praise and worship of God. The genre or the type of music will not cloud or confuse the message. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 and 15 says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. If I can't understand your lyrics, I think we're violating what 1 Corinthians 14 says. When human beings, I love this, messages to young people, 294, when human beings sing with the spirit and the understanding, heavenly musicians take up the strain and join in the song of thanksgiving. Imagine that. You start singing with the joy and the spirit, angels sing with you. I, I, you know what I've said? I've said, Lord, let me hear my angels. Haven't been blessed with that one yet. But someday soon, should we remain faithful, we will. Christianity Today commented that CCM sales were slumping because of CCM performers' quote, lack of spiritual commitment and meaningful lyrics. So in other words, if you don't do it the way that God has called you to do it, nobody wins because you're selling out. This is, this is really incredible to me. CCM magazine editor John Style now, this is the editor. They used to have their own uh, magazine called CCM. They don't have it. It's not in print anymore. But they would promote different bands, and they would show different bands and talk about their music and do interviews with them and that type of thing. And on the cover is pictured uh, quite a few different CCM artists. And uh, the editor of the magazine himself said this. Some quote... Christian songs today are so veiled in terms of spiritual content that their meaning is lost to all but the most ima imaginative. So in other words, you got to really like imagine what they're trying to say. Is this about God or is this about Jesus? Friends, music, if, if this, like again, if the lyrics are the big thing, then they should at least be clear who you're talking about. Christianity Today writes this, Many singers have softened their Christian message in an effort to cross over into the secular marketplace. But now many say this practice has damaged their credibility with Christian audiences while blunting their impact on secular customers. Exactly. So when you are not specific about who you're praying, uh, excuse me, singing to and who you wrote this music and the motive is not clear, then again, it, no one's going to win. The secular world doesn't gain any sort of blessing and the Christian world doesn't gain any sort of blessing. We're supposed to be clear. Who do you serve? Amen? I serve Jesus Christ. Willfully. The Birmingham News wrote after attending a Michael W. Smith concert, if you weren't familiar with Michael W. Smith's standing in the world of contemporary Christian music, you might attend one of his concerts and come out none the wiser. Come on now. What, what is this all about? This is, this is now, let's tap into the Christian pocketbook so I can go out and have concerts and live a life on the road and tour around and create music and you pay me lots of money so I can live in a big house. This is what this is becoming, my friends. In fact, listen to what Michael Smith said himself. I know if I'm too blatant about my Christianity and talk about Jesus, I won't succeed. But hey, I'm not an evangelist, I'm a singer. That's got to hurt the Lord's heart. Think about it. Do we take drugs to win addicts to Christ? 
Well, why not? How are you supposed to reach them? No, the beauty is, my friends, when the drug addict is having his problem, we don't take the drugs to get down there with them. We help and offer them a hand up, amen, out of that pit of drugs. Do we use foul language to witness to those who curse? No. Do we steal to identify with robbers? No. Do we create lewd pictures to present Christ to the pornographer? No. Then should we use carnal, secular, gangster, or angry music to gain a hearing with the world? Or to keep the kids in the church? That's the big cry today. We have to have this music to keep the kids in the church. No, friends, they already have the music in their iPods or in their smartphones and in the cars. They already have it. We don't need to give them more of it. They need something different. And it's called a walk with Jesus that's real. Amen? But if mom and dad are trying to figure out and they don't know what a walk with Jesus is really about, then how do they teach the kids? I don't know. Godly music. So I'm going to play a little medley for you. Has anybody ever heard of How Great Thou Art? Anybody like that song? Uh, how's the lyrical content of that song? Good? Yep. Um, how about the melodic structure of the song? Good? Musicians, yes or no? Yes. How about the harmonies in the song? Good? The rhythm of the song? Good? Okay. So How Great Thou Art is a good song for the Christian to listen to, right? Depending on how it's built. Depending on how it's built. So I'm going to play a little medley for you, and it's going to start off with a man singing the song, and I want you to be aware of, does it draw your attention to the Lord, or does the genre over time in the song, does the genre itself, the way it's sung in the style of the music, does it pull your focus from how great He is, okay? And as we're going along, as the music goes along, we're going to couple, take a couple little turns here and there, and we'll come back to the guy singing it that started it at the beginning. If you get distracted by how, because this is the distraction dilemma, right? Music seminar. If you get distracted by the way that the music is put together on one of the greatest hymns I think that's ever been written, just raise your hand. Yep, I am now distracted. <laughs> and then go ahead and just put it back down. Don't make a big production of it. Just, yep. And you don't have to re-raise it every time you're distracted, if you're ever distracted again. <laughs> You ready? How great thou art. O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout. Now we're going to switch to a little bit of country. Display. It's different, but still good. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art! How great thou art! Then sings my
1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Friends, I believe when we take Christian lyrics, put it on carnal music, and call it Christian music, is at least a form of evil. This is incredible to me. Manuscript releases 21, page 130. Those things which have been in the past will be in the future. And by the way, we're living in the future. This was written 150 years ago. Satan will make what? Music a snare by the way in which it is conducted. We're told very specifically the way that the music is going to be played in the future, it's going to be a snare. What's a snare? It's a trap, my friends. We need to expose this. And we need to understand the principles. God calls upon His people who have the light before them in the world and in the testimonies to read and consider and to take heed. Clear and definite instruction has been given in order that all may understand. I hope that you have been receiving some sort of clear and definite instruction today. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. I have people come up to me and say, Christian, what do I do? I, I brought all this stuff into my life. Either they didn't know it, and they said, I want to make some changes. So when the Lord is working on your life, you make the changes today. Don't let the... Well, the sun's going to set before we're done. So before you go to bed... You make those changes. Why? Because you're strong in the faith right now. Tomorrow, you just might not be as strong. Don't let the devil get in there. 
You've already had whatever you've wanted for as long as you've wanted. How's that worked for you? Our best decisions have got us to where we are today. And friends, if you're not satisfied with where you are today, we need to make different decisions. Otherwise, we're going to bang our head against that wall. We're never going to have our breakthrough. And so, what I love about this scripture, it doesn't say a just man falls once and rise up and never falls again. It says, during this life, we're going to fall. We're going to have struggles. We maybe got it out before, and it got back in again somehow. Well, it got in because of our choices, right? Then you do it again. And then you get up and you do it again. And eventually it's going to come to a place where you say, enough is enough. I see, like Pastor said, that his music choices started to him down the wrong road. You heard him say that earlier. And friends, we had that testimony from around the world, from pastors to elders to children. The reality is, I love this because it says, if you fall, notice what it says, a what kind of man? A just man. What's this just mean? Justified, right? What does that mean? Just if I'd never sinned. Why? Because I've confessed my sins. God has covered me with his righteousness. And now when God looks at me, I see he sees Jesus' righteousness. He doesn't see my filthy rags. And as I grow up as a calf in the stall, more of that falls off of me because I become more and more like Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. And so I fall. And while I'm on this journey, sometimes I make a decision and I fall. But the just man gets up again in the strength of the Lord. The Lord dusts him off. He says, let's go. Let's lock arms. Let's go again. But then I fall again. God goes, let's go again. Notice the difference. The just man, he struggles, but he gets up and he goes again. Amen? The wickedness, what? Fall into mischief. They don't get up again. They just stay where they were. So friends, I want to encourage you. If you blew it, you blew it. God already knew it. So confess it. Ask God to help you in whatever area of your life that might be. Because friends, here's what I've discovered. The Seventh-day Adventist faith is the most beautiful message on the planet. It's incredible when you're living up to the light that God has given you. It's the most frustrating religion to be in if you're not. It is so hard. Why? Because we know too much. And when we know, and the Holy Spirit has worked in our minds before, and it worked before, and we have been convicted before, and we're not following it, we have that sense of guilt. And friends, living a guilty Christian life is no way to live a Christian life. Is that true? But friends, when you embrace it, I've been there, I've been there. The Lord's yoke was heavy. His burden was not light. No, it wasn't his, it was mine. I've been a Pharisee. I've been set free. I've had all these different experiences as a Christian. And friends, by God's grace right now, I am freer in my life than I've ever been, but I'm more obedient than ever. It's so amazing. And my life is not joyless, it's filled with joy. That's a miracle of God. Because a just man, even though he falls, he gets up again, but the wickedness stay down in mischief. Dr. Balaam of the University of Utah, his research has found that the human mind shuts down. We'll talk a little bit about worship now for just a few minutes, and then we'll be done. 
the human mind shuts down after three or four repetitions of a rhythm or a melody or a harmonic progression. Furthermore, excessive repetition causes people to release control of their thoughts. Alpha, rhythmic repetition is used by people who are trying to push certain ethics in their music. So today it's become very popular. We have what's called the New Paradigm Church. We have all these other flavors of churches today in and around the entire Christian world. And the challenge that we have is that they want to start packing people in. And so how do they pack people in? Well, they'll go into their, their uh, neighborhoods and they have these surveys that they take. And they go and they knock on doors and they ask people uh, uh, this survey, asking them a bunch of questions. If you were to come to church, just saying if you would come to a church, what are your, your favorite times that you would want to be there? What time in the day? What kind of amenities would there need to be? What color would the church be? What kind of music do you like? What kind of movies do you like? What kind of TV shows do you like? And they literally put together through some professionals, this is their job now, they design what the building's going to look like, and they don't even have square corners in the building. Everything is rounded. It's not square. We're not square Christians here. No, everything is psychologically based. And you walk in, they have the smells, they have the donuts, they have the coffee, they have, everything is there for the felt needs of the seeker. Not for what they really need, but what they want. Friends, when have we ever really known what we truly need? And so they put this worship service together. They will have the lights, they'll have the music, they'll have the rock and roll, they'll have whatever it takes to bring people there. And they have become experts at it, and they have brought in tens of thousands of people in one worship service. In fact, the largest church, Lakewood Church with Joel Osteen, 43,000 people at a service. They have brought people in by the thousands. But here's the problem. They figured it out after a little over 20 years of doing this, the people don't stay. They have to constantly bring new people in. Not through evangelism, through just advertisement and enticement and entertainment. And so here's what happens. You create a worship service that services the felt needs of the congregants. And then what we do is we manufacture an emotional response in the congregation during the worship service. And we mistake that for the Holy Spirit. This is what's going on. And friends, these new paradigm churches are seeing the folly of their ways. They've said it themselves. We know how to bring them in, but there ain't substance to keep them here. They're starting to change their ways slowly, but here's what's going on. We Adventists, we're always a little bit behind the times. And we're starting to bring in all these new methodologies that are 25 years old. We start bringing in all of this kind of music now that's 25 years old. And, and we're just starting to see, see, it's bringing more people. See, more young people are, are coming out. Yeah, but friends, the reality is they're turning around and walking out just as fast. It's not substance. We don't need quantity of people. We need quality of people. Amen? People that have a true walk. So we, we bring in the people. And we have these, this song service. Oh. oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. And I exalt you. 
go into a vain repetition. Don't break him out of the trance now. We sing that to him again. I, I, I exalt thee. Oh, praise the Lord. And we just put them in this place to where we hypnotize their brains. We put them into alpha mode. And then the pastor comes out and talks for a little while, and he might just put in a false doctrine. This is how it works. This is what's going on. And so we pack in the young people. Look at that. We pack them in. And friends, I've seen it with my own eyes. It's in our churches. Do you realize that, it's, that we have actually sent people from our church, people in seminary. I was just, just a few weeks ago I was speaking, and a brother said, he said, you, you, I got to talk to you, brother Christian. I said, yeah. He goes, I just, I've been had to go back to Andrews in our seminary, and they are now teaching some stuff. They used to have all these courses that had these names, and people were offended by the names, so they don't have the courses anymore. They just weave this whole one church and the project and all this stuff throughout the, the curriculum now, and these young, uh, wonderful people that want to become pastors don't realize they are literally accepting some problematic doctrine. It's what's happening. I have the curriculum. It was just emailed to me this week. And I'm going, no, please, please, Jesus, please come soon lest we all perish. You see, friends, what we're doing now is that we're servicing the felt needs of the congregants, not what we really need, and that is an infilling with the Holy Spirit, a relationship with Jesus Christ, my friends. And so we pack them in, we give them this emotional experience, and we whip them up, man. We're going to have a party in the house of God. These are the days of Elijah. Yeah. Declaring the word of the Lord. Now, this is a worship service, and these are the days of Elijah. Now, are these the days of Elijah? They are, my friends. They are the days of Elijah. But it ain't a party. Amen? And then we'll just keep cranking them up. Praise God now. Yes. Alright. Bye-bye, prefrontal cortex. And just in case there is any prefrontal cortex, let's let's go into a vain repetition. There is no God like Jehovah. 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 Oh, brother, have you got the spirit? I got the spirit. You got the spirit, sister. I got the spirit. There is no God like Jehovah, and I think I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. It's a cheap, manufactured experience. And it's just emotional manipulation, my friends. What a dangerous thing to do in the house of God. The Lord says, I will never force you. 
I will never trick you. I will never hypnotize you. I will never take away your reasoning ability. People have said, well, what's wrong if they are listening to that and the prefrontal cortex is not engaged and we teach in the truth? <laughs> God doesn't want to trick us into believing a truth. He wants says, come and let us reason together. We need to be in that bra the beta brain state to reason, amen? And that environment, not only that music and that vain repetition, which causes us to lose hold of our conscious thought, it's nothing more than Eastern meditation, my friends. Emotional, musical manipulation. And there's neurolinguistics involved. The problem that we have is that we are seeking for something that God never promised. He never promised that we would feel the presence of God. There are times when we have sensed and felt the Lord close, yes or no? But He has never promised. This is why He said, at the end of time especially, are we living in that time? Okay, so this is for us. We're going to have to walk by faith and not by our five senses. That's what that means. So we have to walk by faith. We have to walk by principle. We have to walk by the revealed word of God, my friends. Because when we lose somebody and we've lost that loved one, it doesn't feel like God is right there, but that's when he's the closest. Amen? So if I rely on my feelings to, 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 to guide me as to whether God is in my life or not, that becomes dangerous. Because, my friends, at the end of time, here's what I believe is going to happen. We already know, we've read an inspired statement that the devil's going to use music as a snare in the way in which it's conducted, right? We know just before Jesus comes, Satan himself will appear as an angel of light. Satan himself will be personating Jesus Christ, yes or no? Oh yeah. Do you think that event will be heralded with music? Oh, you know it is. Oh, he's been serenading God's people. He's been serenading the remnant church for many years. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And that doesn't just apply to Jesus. Who has your ear? Have we been listening to the things that the devil has been putting in the church? And now... We've been having that manufactured emotional response and experience. And so when he appears and there's that music being sung by this angelic choir who the devil's been orchestrating for a long time, check this out. He is serenading the church at the end of time. Do you see it? Do you perceive that could happen? Indeed, my friends, it could. I believe music will be used like the devil has been using it today. And all of a sudden, we're going to trust our feelings more than our faith. Because by faith, we should not go when they say, Lo, he is in the desert. Lo, he, yeah, but look, millions of people are turning out. And I know because the, the Holy Spirit has been filling me for years when we had that music playing in my church and they're doing it over there. Obviously, this is of God. And we're drawn by our emotions to worship the beast. You ever heard of Rick Warren? 
He's of the Saddleback Church, and he's the guy that wrote The Purpose Driven Life and Church. Here's what he says. Worship has nothing to do with the style or volume or speed of a song. God loves all kinds of music because he invented it all. Fast and slow, loud and soft, old and new, you probably don't like it all, but God does. What this is really saying by this false prophet, what this is really saying is that God doesn't matter what, what we use because God has worked through all of these people to create all of this music because it really all comes from Him. You have heard music samples today. You know it didn't come from God. But this is the whole idea of live and let live. Your truth is your truth. Mine is my truth. Who are you to judge? Well, you know what? I'm supposed to understand the word. I'm supposed to un understand biblical principle. And you shall know them by their fruit. If these kids listening to Christian music that's angry and that is depressive and they become angry and suicidal, I can judge that fruit, my friends. And I have testimony after testimony of young person and old person saying, I was listening to Christian rock, I was listening to the Christian rap, listening to all this kind of stuff, and I just had the wrong spirit. Eventually it led me to a place to where I was suicidal. That breaks my heart. Child Guidance, page 540. There has been a great change, not for the better, but for the worse, in the habits and customs of the people in reference to religious worship. The precious, the sacred things which connect us with God are fast losing their hold upon our minds and hearts and are being brought down to the level of the common things. The reverence which the people had anciently for the sanctuary, which I wish we had here in our church, were where they met with God in sacred service has largely passed away. Nevertheless, God himself gave the order of his service, exalting it high above everything of a temporal nature. And surely, my friends, there's going to be a tremendous fallout when these people in these other churches who have been, been emotionally milked and driven for years on end, there's going to be a falling out. And it's already indeed happened. And they're going to be looking for a place to worship that's going to be safe. A place where they're not going to have their emotions manipulated. And they can come hear the word of God spoken in plainness. And they can find and meet their Savior and not be entertained to spiritual death. I want to be that part, that kind of church. Amen? I hope this church will uphold those standards and wherever you are going, you will be a light and be a reformer to work for change, to guard the gate and not allow Babylon in. Let me ask you this question, and I say this delicately, but we have been called out of Babylon. And what's Babylon? It is confusion about really everything spiritually, especially doctrine, yes? Could it be confusion about worship styles? Oh yeah, my friends. So God has called us, come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Babylon is just okay, no problem, don't worry about it. You worship however you want. No, he says, come out of her, my people. That means that his people are in Babylon, in Babylonian worship styles, my friend. So where do we find it would be wise as the remnant church of God, to send people to, the, to Babylon to learn how to worship God. Come on. When would that be okay? 
We have youth leaders and pastors going and learning from these other people how to bring people in and bring in the celebration style music and this rock concert music. In our, they're learning from Babylon proper, my friends. Have mercy is right. And I say this delicately, please, if there's anybody here that's not a Seventh-day Adventist, please understand where my heart is. I'm not down on anybody. I'm not trying to say, we're the Seventh-day Adventist and everybody's, I'm not saying that. But friends, when you study out the Word of God, there's some things that are just so plain. The Sabbath is one of them. And friends, if Babylon doesn't even have the day right, how are they going to have the way right to worship the Lord? Come on, think about that. Amen? Amen. I hope I didn't offend anybody by that. All right, almost done here. A bedlam of noise. Shock. This is incredible. Listen to this. A bedlam of noise shocks the senses. Is that true? Absolutely. In fact, we read, it shocks the senses, it releases opioids, it releases uh, sexual uh, enhancement uh, hormones. A bed of noise shocks the senses and perverts that which, if conducted aright, might be a blessing. So that does mean there's a way to conduct it that's right and a way that's to conduct it that's wrong. The powers of satanic agencies blend with the din and noise to have a carnival. This is a reference to religious worship. And this is termed the Holy Spirit's working. Wait a minute. The Holy Spirit never reveals itself in such methods. I've had people say, yeah, but I was in the, that rock concert and Jesus touched my heart. It wasn't because of the rock concert. It was in spite of the rock concert because the Holy Spirit is powerful. How he put your frontal lobe back together in that environment is a miracle. This is an invention of Satan to cover up his ingenious methods of making uh, of none effect the pure, sincere, elevating, ennobling, sanctifying truth for this time. No encouragement should be given to this kind of worship. Period. Amen. Go ahead, read it on the screen. We're going to go over this quickly, and then I'm going to answer your questions for a few minutes, and then we're going to go eat. I'm supposed to stop at what time? Six. Six. We got ten minutes. Let's go quick. Okay. The 90-day challenge. Why fast from it all? By the way, we're all from here. Some of you might need to leave, but we're going to have a light dinner, a light supper for you, and we're going to come back for the final Bible message, a basic, strong, one of my favorite messages ever that the Lord gave me. The four steps to eternal life or the four C's of Christianity. Same message. And I'm not going to hand out these cards to you right now. We have these little cards that have all the information I'm going to go over real rapidly. I'm just going to explain it quickly. And then, don't hand them out, Tyler. What we'll do is we'll set them right up here, maybe right here in these areas. And our, uh, we'll do one stack here. We'll do another stack up on our table up there. As you go up the stairs to the food, just grab one if you want one, okay? So Tyler, leave two big stacks, one there and one up at our table. I'm just going to go over this quickly. No media for 45 days. Yeah, right. No, I'm serious. No media for 45 days. 
Why? Why fast from it? It takes about 45 days to deprogram and reprogram and create a new habit. They say about 21 to 22, 25 days to have a new habit, but we have to come out of our old habits. So 45 days, it will reset our taste buds. Our discernment will improve. We will begin to hear the voice of God. Our Christian experience will reach new heights. The world will grow strangely dim, and we will have time to invest in our walk with God. So here's how it works, quickly. No media for 45 days. On day one, that might be today, that might be tomorrow, if the Holy Spirit is guiding and leading you. Day one, we delete all the media out of our lives that the Holy Spirit, not, by the way, my name's Christian Berdahl, my name's not Holy Spirit. It's not. That position has been filled. Day one, we delete all of the media out of our lives that the Holy Spirit has revealed to be a problem in your life. Leave the items that you are not sure about. Replace the empty time with productive things. How about someone, I've heard people say, I've wanted to play an instrument my whole life, but they're too busy. Guess what? You're going to have time. You're going to finally find the time that you have wanted for so long because you don't even realize how much time. You, you probably are spending the equivalent of a full-time job engaged in the media. You don't understand, but you probably are. Even old people. Yep. Even, the, even those that have snow on the roof. It's true. Especially the old people. Replace the empty time with productive things. Learn an instrument. Learn a new hobby. Go volunteer. Get a dog. Take it for a walk. That's good for you, by the way. Do something different. Become a mentor. Take some young person under your arm and help them in their life. Do something with your life. In fact, how about you uh, add the desire of ages into your life and read the Bible every day in your life? Did you know that there are Christians that don't read the Bible or any sort of wonderful input daily in their lives as Seventh-day Adventists? There are some Seventh-day Adventists that don't read their Bibles. Did you know that? No, it's true. Shocking, I know. So for that first 45 days, how about we replace that time with Bible study? with learning. I've been reading Steps to Christ right now, and I'm reading it, and I get done, and I go and I read it again. I read it again. I read it again. I'm on like the eighth time right now. I just started it a couple months ago. I love that book. Desire of Ages, 90 days. It has 86 chapters, I believe, 86 or 87, and you could do a chapter a day. I couldn't read that much. Oh, no, you'll have time. <laughs> Ask God to guide you to analyze the music that you were not sure of. This is after day 46. You're going to be back in only the music that you know passes the test. The other music you're going to evaluate, you'll be amazed at what you weren't sure about before because the Holy Spirit has been alive and well and you've been hearing Him like you haven't before. I'm telling you, my friends, we are a distracted nation of Christians. We are so distracted. It's time I wish we could all go and like, let's go to an island for 90 days. None of this stuff. Wouldn't that be incredible? Oh, you, you would go nuts at the beginning. In fact, we've had people write us emails and say, by the end of the night on the first day, my wife and I were climbing the walls. We were like just sitting there going, oh, what are we going to do with our life now? I mean, they were like getting angry and irritable. That is called a sign of addiction. Indeed. If you're thinking, I'm not going to do that, I could never do that, you're the one that needs to do it most. 
I could never, really? How did we do it for 6,000 years without all this stuff? Oh, far better, far better. So that's the 90-day challenge. Each week, you, each week following, so it's only really 40 to 45 days without media. Each week following, add one more media source going through the same process, asking God to awaken your spiritual discernment. After day 90, you'll be amazed just how close you've drawn to the Lord with the Holy Spirit's leading. Determine if you should embrace another 90 days. Romans 8, 1 promises... There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. My friends, please, don't let the devil mess with your mind. Don't let him mess with your physiology. And as we mentioned before, a just man falls seven times, but he gets up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. God bless you.